0: All right. Well, good morning, church. We wanted you to see that video, uh, even though it's one screen. Sorry about that. Our screen went out this morning, but uh, to hear a little bit of what's going on in the city of Denver. Uh, We as a church believe that one of the ways to make Jesus known is to plant new churches, uh, places where there are very few churches or no churches. And you heard in the city of Denver, it's hard to get your mind around 90% of the city is lost, doesn't know Jesus. 90% of the city of Denver. So we, as a church, we're committed to planting new churches, and many of you guys know the guy next to me—a real-life church planner right here with us. Uh, you guys know Derek and Kayla Sherfie. Uh they get to be back with us this morning. And Derek's us—he was on our staff here for almost five years, served as one of our elders, campus pastor in J.C. And as we, as Tri-Cities, plant a church, Derek is the church planner, and his family are going to be sent out, uh, and we believe hitting the field in Denver maybe sometime next year. We're still trusting the Lord for all that, but. He's back, and I want you guys just to welcome him home uh, for a few minutes as he's going to be with us this morning. He's going to share God's Word with us from Acts 20 in just a few minutes. But I want you to hear from him, what's going on in their lives right now, give you a little update. So tell us, man, what is happening right now, where are you, and what do the next few weeks look like for you guys? Yeah, it is really, really good to be back Um, So we
1: have uh, been in Louisville, Kentucky since May, so many of you guys were part of our sending off from the family meeting back late April, early May, whenever that was. That's where we've been. Uh, We're serving with a church there in Kentucky called Sojourn Community Church. It's a multi-campus church, and we're predominantly at the East Campus on the East Side uh, Louisville. It's been such a sweet time, such a gift for my wife and my family uh, to be there and do that. And so what it does look like? We're serving as a church planting resident at that church. Um, what that means is really we've given, been given a lot of space to pray, to prepare, and solidify the vision that God is birthing in us. Get put some things down on paper, spend a lot of times. A lot of time developing the team that God's beginning to raise up uh, via FaceTime. Uh, not FaceTime isn't raising them up. I'm spending time with them on FaceTime. You get it. Um, spend a lot of time doing that. Partnership development is uh, really kicking up and is what we're continuing to do during our time in Louisville. We've also had a lot of access to the elders there and reading books and just doing all the equipping side of things. But what we're most excited about is there's an area on the east side of Louisville where the church is looking, Sojourner is looking to plant churches. And we've helped kind of go in and just learn that neighborhood, kind of do a lot of the groundwork level of a church plant. And so it's helped that church advancing the mission that they're doing. But it's also allowed Kayla and I to flex and grow some of the spiritual muscles that we're going to need to go into Um, a neighborhood in Denver that we've never obviously lived in before and don't know anyone there uh, to really know what life's going to look like once we get to the city. So it's been such a sweet time. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, In the next few weeks, uh, a lot of travel, partnership development, training that we're doing, uh, but then really just going to our NAM assessment, a reassessment coming up in the next few weeks, Lord willing, where that'll help determine and solidify some of the timetable of when we'll actually get on the ground in denver it probably won't be any later than may of next year uh, but it could be as early as january february if that's what the lord uh, opens up for us and so we're just trusting him with the timetables but we're definitely looking at spring of next year getting into the
0: city awesome so for clarity's sake Mm -hmm. you guys are in louisville now in a time of training Mm and preparation and then you're going to the city of denver and this is what i want you guys to hear because i think a lot of people still don't quite understand this you're going to Trust God to plant a new church that right now does not exist, <laughs> right? And we're trusting God for that. It's not going to, you know, restart or so. There, there is no church there called the Oaks, right? right? right. Um, so help us a little bit this morning. That's kind of scary to be realized. You'd have talked about this a lot. I mean, we got to do that in Las Vegas, be a part of something like that. It's an incredible life-shaping thing. For you and your family, what's the scariest thing about this call that God's placed on your life? Yeah. Uh, My wife and
1: I were talking about this last night, knowing this question was going to be asked. You have all the logistic, practical things. Um, Life in the city is really expensive. Denver, um, five times higher than the national average of cost of living. So there's things like that. Things like the financial needs that we have and partnership development. We're just constantly trusting the Lord, that he's going to provide the means and the resources for us to be able to live life in Denver, and for the team that God's raising up, for them to be able to find jobs. and There's just a lot of anxiety and worry that's underneath so much of those just practical things of getting out there and figuring out life, and as you heard, in a city that is at best uninterested with the gospel. and So what is it going to look like for us that have grown up here in the Bible Belt to go out west into a city that in many ways the gospel has never really been multiplied In the way that it has, by God's grace, here in this region. There's lostness here, but we know that there's a lack of gospel presence, and it's unique than what the context that we're used to. So there's a lot of the unknowns. But then, on a more spiritual, kind of deeper under the hood level, um, I mean, you heard about the spiritual warfare. We've heard that from a lot of our brothers and sisters that are already there serving faithfully in the city, that the spiritual warfare is real. Talking with, keeping in touch with Pastor Josh up at Remedy and Corey and those guys in Portland. Uh, spiritual warfare is a real thing, and that comes with a lot of fear. To that, uh, but also, Kayla and I just—we just are overwhelmed—not by our feelings of inadequacy, but by the reality of our inadequacies. We are come um, face to face with we do not have what it takes to plant churches, to change lives. That has to be a work of the Spirit, and there's boldness in that, but there's just a lot of fear of working too hard, trying to make it happen, and just, um, just almost our soul care of that we keep trusting the Lord in it. Uh, that we wouldn't be paralyzed by the fear, crushed by the weight of it, but we also wouldn't just go flippantly into it without trusting and being
0: dependent on God. And I appreciate that honesty. Help yeah. us a little bit this morning. Uh, we're going to pray for you here in a second before you come and open God's word. So, we're the sending church. I mean, this is us. I want you guys to hear that. This is not them. Something y'all are doing. This is us doing this as a church. Help us know how we're a part of that specifically how do we pray and even something coming up in just a few weeks but help yeah, us a little bit yeah, with that. yeah so please pray
1: um I, I cannot tell you how encouraged we have been for those of you who have kept in contact with us this is a really tangible thing if you if god lays you on our heart to pray for us shoot me a text shoot an email it really does encourage us to know how you're praying for us and for those of you that have done that thank you for holding the rope for us my wife and i love you so much for that but keep praying for us even the ways that i know you can't text every time you pray um but keep praying and lifting us up. And if you want to specifically know how to pray, we would love for you to be a prayer partner. What that means is you'll receive a monthly update in, the, in your email inbox. And we would love for you to do that today. After the gathering, if you'll just exit out these doors, we have a table there just to the left right before you get to the hub. We would love to sign you up to receive those updates so you can know specifically as this journey keeps progressing for us to know how to pray for us. But then I'm praying some of you will go. I mean, when we get out to the city and teams start to form that you guys will come see us and help us advance the gospel there. But some of you, maybe God's stirring in your heart to relocate your job, to live in this city, to, to be members of this church, to be missionaries to the city of Denver. We're praying that God would stir up more of you. There's already uh, several of you here that we're, you know we've been in contact, um, that God's raising up a team from here to be sent out. We pray for more and more uh, workers to be sent. Uh, then also there's financial need. The cost of living is expensive, Uh, There and we're in the process right now of raising support. And so, the next big step of that, and to hear more of the vision of our church, plant, what God's working in our hearts, and how you can be involved in any of these ways, uh, is coming up on November 11th. We're hosting a vision dinner here at Trustee's Baptist in the Gray Campus over in the Outpost. That The elders have been really generous to host that for us. So we'll be providing a meal for you, so please sign up to come to that. So there's no, we're, we will unapologetically be asking for money, but if you, that's not a place that you're at right now, just come and hear the vision, uh, hear more specifically what we're going to be doing in Denver. Uh, so RSVP to that meal right after the gathering. There's a table there. Uh, just RSVP so we know how much food to provide. That's November 11th coming up. Please come to that so we can cast visions. So you can know more specifically uh, how you
0: guys can be involved as our sending church. Yeah. Fantastic. So you heard that website also. They can check the website. Yeah, right? net. Yeah, it's active, so you can check there. So I'm going to pray for Derek this morning, and I want to ask you to pray with me as I pray for him. And uh, he said it, and I'm just going to be absolutely honest with you. I'm praying that a lot of you from this church go to Denver. It's not necessarily the call on everybody's life, but I think it's the call on all of our lives to say, Lord, is that what you'd have me do? Uh, That God would raise up an army, a team, to go and reach the city of Denver to the glory of God. Not just a church, multiple churches in the city of Denver. So why don't you bow your head with me for just a second. You join me, you pray for Derek, you pray for even your own heart this morning, that you would be receptive to God as he speaks through his word uh, in just a few minutes. So Father, I thank you for this time this morning. Uh, Great God, Lord, I thank you that you would let us be a part of making you known and planting churches and things that count for eternity. Thank you for that. Uh, God, I thank you for my brother here. I pray for he and Kayla. I pray for little Bo. I pray for their family to continue to meet their needs and grow them. And God, I ask you this morning to speak through my brother, through your word. And God, would you give us ears to hear, quickness to obey. What you call us to this morning for your glory. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go get a Thanks.
1: All right, we got some work to do. So grab your Bibles and turn uh, with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you've been following along on the reading plan, which I hope you, you do that as, you can, as we go throughout this series in the book of Acts, Maybe you read earlier in Acts 20 this week, and we won't be dealing with it directly in this passage, but our boy Eutychus that fell out the window for Paul preaching too long, and so I'm going to do my best to not have a Eutychus situation on our hands this morning and be somewhat brief, but I do have a lot to say. It's been over six months since I've done this, other than this morning, and so I have a lot to say. So prepare for fire hydrant drinking this morning. It's going to happen, okay? Okay. Um, Acts chapter 20, we'll be picking up here in just a moment. We'll be reading verse 17. Before we do so, I want to maybe help paint a picture of a snapshot of three different types of people or maybe th- three different ways that maybe this would be true of you in your life, in your journey. So not just so much if you're stepping out to be planting churches in Denver, Colorado and the big things like that, but just an everyday normal life. Maybe one of these things would you say, you know what, that probably describes me. And if we're honest, maybe even an ebb and flow in and out of all three of these brief snapshots of people. Here's number one a person who lives with a constant worry and anxiety in life. There's just a constant song playing in the background of fear, of insecurities, um, a fear of the unknown, and maybe even a fear of failure. And you live paralyzed by that, of taking a step of obedience or even just sometimes even getting out of the bed in the morning is just so fearful that you have a hard time moving forward. There's some of us, here's a second person. Uh, it's kind of a, just a, a nuance of that. It's somebody who would hide their insecurities. You have that fear, you have that worry, but instead of being known to be that worry wart and that per- person of paralysis, Maybe somebody who you have those insecurities, but you hide it under the veneer, behind the mask of, I just don't care about anything. It's the quintessential apathetic person. It's the person who says, I'm not gonna try and have any kind of God sized dream in my life because if I don't try, I don't have to find out whether or not I'm gonna fail. I don't want to face failure, so I'm just not really, I'm just gonna do the status quo, just keep it simple guard my comfort, so that I don't have to face the realities of my inadequacy. Maybe that's you. A third person is maybe the person that would look at those other two types with just absolute disdain and judgment and would say, no, I'm the person that's going to take life by the horns, and we're just going to go for it, I'm going to push ahead. But kind of the dark side of that is maybe that person is doing so very arrogantly very obsessively, maybe you're doing all the right things, maybe even doing ministry type of things, just pushing after goals and going after what you know God's called you to do, but you're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it according to your own intellectual abilities or what makes sense to you or what you can manage and what you think that you can control. And the reality is, I, I, th- I know this, these are all three describing my heart and what we've been navigating through over the last really couple of years as we've discerned this call, but especially the last six months as we've kind of been in this weird in-between time of training and preparation. My wife and I, we feel all three of these things deeply. There's been moments that we have been so afraid of what we're doing, like what in the world? We don't even know what to do. Then there's been moments that I've come on the other side of it. It's like, no, I'm just going to just jump in. We're going to figure out all the strategy. We're going to lay it out. We're going to raise the money. I'm just going after it. But I've done it in my own power and I've burned out and I just feel so just weak and frail in that. And then kind of in the middle as I just kind of lull into this, I don't even know if I want to do this. Or I'm not going to expect the big things of God because I don't want to fail in it. So I'm just going to kind of play it safe and just not really push, not really trust the Lord for these things. We're just going in and out of that. And it's not just for people that are planting churches in Denver. I think, I hope all of this resonates with us in everyday life. This is where, we, where we're living. But all three of these types and kind of dispositions when it comes to this have something in common. Here it is. They're all longing for success. For life to matter. I mean, let's be honest. None of us set out on something new saying, you know what? I hope this is a colossal failure. I hope it tanks. I hope it crashes and burns. That that would be the goal that I was aiming for. Nobody sets out on anything new, big or small, thinking that that's going to be the case or hoping for that. And we've been confronted with this question over and over again. If we've sought the Lord, of, Lord, what is success? What's the aim? What are we shooting at? Because the world has its own definition. My own heart has its own definition. There's a, a, a make-believe or maybe even a real pressure of this church plant to be a certain thing. But what happens if we move to Denver and none of that happens? What then? What happens when you're trusting God at your workplace or in your family and it just doesn't work the way that you wanted it and longed for it to work? What do you do then? What is success? In God's eyes, Like what are we aiming at? And I think there's two sides of this coin. The first side of it is this. I hope this sets some of us free. We often put so much pressure on ourselves that God does not place on us. We think of expectations that God has for us that, listen, he does not have over your life. We think success is up to me, to you, to get it right and our abilities. It rises and falls on us. Brothers and sisters, that is just not true. That is God's job. That is His responsibility. The outcome, the fruit of what He would choose to do according to His His sovereign plan is up to Him. And that's not to say that God does not have expectations on us. Because He does. It's to say that the outcome and the fruit of it is not based upon your ability and your know-it-all to be able to show up. Sometimes... We don't do everything we're supposed to do, and God still blesses in spite of us. Have you experienced that before? It's really humbling when that happens, and it's freeing. Here's the other side of the coin, that God is not calling us to feel the weight of his job, because that's his role, success, fruit, the outcome, but he is inviting you and me to participate with him in what he's doing in the world. The pressure isn't on us. But we do have a responsibility. We have a privilege to join God in what he is doing. So success is God. But what does it look like to be faithful? To show up and participate with the calling that he's placed on your life. So what does it mean to be faithful? So Paul would say like this in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So, a steward is somebody who has in their possession something that is not their own. And Paul's saying that's who that's what we're like as the people of God. That God has entrusted with us something that it's not you, you know, it's not your mission; it's God's. He's going to accomplish what He will accomplish with or without us, but he chooses to invite us to hold it and to steward it. And so our job as stewards is are we faithful? Something that has constantly, I've been having to constantly bring back before my attention when I get into those fearful, overworked, apathetic seasons of life is this, that one day I will stand and see my Jesus face to face and see him Everything else in this life is not going to matter in that moment. And I long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you a job and you did it. Not out of trying to earn my love, because you already have my love, but you did what I called you to do. You were faithful to show up. Martin Luther says it like this, let us live this day in light of that day. That day when we will stand and see him. So it is that what is motivating you and your family? Whether it results in you moving to Denver or overseas to an unreached people group, or whether it means for you staying in the place that you are now for the rest of your life, are you being faithful? You're just cruising along, and I'm asking God to stir that up in us as we read Acts 20, beginning to verse 17. As we see a picture of what faithfulness looks like in this passage. Okay. So let's read with me verse 17. I'll be reading down to the end of the chapter. It's a beautiful, emotional account here. So Let's read it. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. "...constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus." to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. and now I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It's able to give you the inheritance among all those who were sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Wow. What a scene, right? We've been... For all year, I mean, you all have been tracking through, watching this story unfold throughout the book of Acts. As the Acts of the Apostles and the Acts of the Holy Spirit are, are advancing the church. That God is committed to advancing His church. But then we get pauses like this in this sweeping narrative to see some sermons that are, were preached as this happened. And we get to get an under-the-hood look at some of the theology of the church that was driving this mission. And here we see some of the leadership and how the weight of a godly called leadership, how that advances the mission, that it's critical of, of these things. So you hear, well, here's what's happening, is that Paul is set to go to Jerusalem. Because he has to get there to see the gospel spread, for more churches to be planted. And you saw last week that he had been serving in Ephesus and planting churches there. And he's on his way over. He he doesn't have time because he has to get to Jerusalem to stop and see the whole church at Ephesus. So he stops down in Miletus a few miles down the coast. And he calls for the elders of the church. These were brothers that he likely had seen come to faith. He had discipled and trained and built up. They had served faithfully alongside Paul. They had been doing the ministry with the churches there at Ephesus. Likely a thousand people or more that this church has expanded to. He's like, I want to talk to those brothers. So this is a, a charge from Paul to his friends, to fellow, fellow elders of the church there at Ephesus. And so what, what do we do with this? Other than just seeing the emotional account of he's going to say goodbye and he's saying, I'm never going to see you again. Because I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but even if I get there, I've got other places to go and I never plan to make it to Ephesus again. This is a goodbye. This is a kingdom goodbye. Because of the light of the glory of God, and light of the gospel of God, and light of the mission of God, he was sent. These relationships, as deep as they go, you see the love that they have for one another, all this weeping over one another. But we must continue to advance, be faithful to what God has called us to do. But what are we to do with it? Well, to my brother elders here at this church, I pray that this is a challenge to you. I pray that it's an encouragement to you. I pray that it's a clarity around what it means to shepherd the church that is at Tri-Cities. And it's a challenge to me. And I pray that you, as we, the rest of us that aren't in this room, that you would not say, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm not in full-time vocational ministry. I don't have this calling set apart in my life. That you would know what it is that God expects of your leaders. That you would pray that for your elders here. That they would be faithful like this. Pray that for me and the team that God's forming as we pursue faithfulness to shepherd the church of God in Denver, Colorado. But listen, it's not just to check out and say this is just a passage for Pastors, I think we're missing something if that's all that we do with this. So if you're here in this room and you're not yet a Christian, you're here exploring Christianity, you came with a friend, we're so glad that you're here. And Maybe, just maybe, you've been hurt deeply by the church, maybe by leadership in the church. I hope you see a picture of what God has ordained and intended for the church to be. You see some beautiful theology about what Jesus has done and what he's inviting you into if you were to follow Jesus. And so we pray that you see that. And Maybe the gospel could heal some of those wounds, maybe some obstacles that may be keeping you from believing in Jesus this morning. But for the rest of us, those of us in this room that are Christians but not pastors, um, Hebrews chapter 13 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome of the, their way of life and imitate their faith. So what we're seeing here is, is Paul's charging the elders of this church. In many ways, the elders are not heroes or not super Christians. They're just, in many ways, they're just to be examples of what all of us are called to be and do. So it would do us well to say, okay, this was what faithfulness looked like in the apostle Paul's life. Here's how he's charging this church to pursue faithfulness. And this is what I ought to be striving for as I pray and submit to the leadership of this church and say, God, do this in us. Make us these kind of people. So I'm praying that as we go through this that we'll see some of these things. So we're going to see Paul's pursuit of faithfulness, how he's going to look back as he gives them examples of his life and ministry among them, that we see a snapshot of what a faithful life might look like today. Then we're going to see his commitment to faithfulness, and then finally we'll see how he's going to instruct us in our faithfulness in light of who Jesus is what he's done but Paul's pursuit of faithfulness let's look at his example that he gives us from his life in verse 18 there's a kind of a big banner here he says you know how I lived that's in verse 18 he says they came to him and he said you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day to the last in verse 19 he goes on he says here's what I did here's what that looked like you know how I lived well what did it look like Paul serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So here's the first big idea to rally around about what faithfulness might look like in our lives. Faithfulness means we see ourselves as slaves to the king. He called himself a servant, he said, serving the Lord or a servant of the Lord. That word really has the idea of I am a slave, I'm a bond servant to my master. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a slave or of a servant? A servant is one who does what he's told by his master. And Paul said, that is the identity over my life. That I do not belong to myself. That I don't get to call the shots of my life. That I belong to another. I've been bought with a price. That Yahweh is my master and my Lord. And he is the one that is setting the course and trajectory of my life. And I am only his servant. I'm constrained to do He can do with me whatever he will. He goes on and describes what that serving of the Lord looks like. He says, with all humility. The word humility literally has the idea of lowliness before God. He saw his rightful place before God and he he was completely self-emptied. He saw himself for who he actually was. Was and in this day, this was seen as an insult for him to say, I lived among you in all humility. In our day, we think of that almost like a virtue, but in that way, it would have been seen as weakness, frailty, good for nothing. <laughs> and he goes, That's how I lived among you, brothers and sisters. Hear me, God has wired you to have limits because you're not God. And the pressure is not on you to be God. That you're not in control of your life. And that he's given us weaknesses and frailty. And not to say we make light of our sin, but that these weaknesses that we have and this posture of lowliness before our Lord is meant to do two things. It's meant to keep us dependent on his spirit, to enable us to do what he's called us to do. And it's meant to give him glory as we point away from ourselves into him. What if you God will get more glory from your weakness than your strengths? I think Paul knew that. He was comfortable to say, I forget about myself. It's not about you seeing me and my strength, but as a leader, I want you to see that no, I'm empty, I'm nothing. And it's the Lord who's called me to this task. I want people to see Jesus and they can see him, the strong one who has no weaknesses, in the midst of my inability. It didn't keep him from obeying God. It actually fueled his obedience and colored in what it looked like in his life. But he goes on and says, with tears. This man knew what it was to be broken, to be soft hearted. We don't know if these are tears of joy. I'm sure they were. But he says, later on in the passage, we see that he admonished them day and night with tears. He was close with his people and he knew their hurts and he was weeping with them. He had a pastoral longing to see them in every way grow up into Jesus. He was so brokenhearted about the mission that God had called them to, this man wept continually. So maybe you're not a crier, that's okay if it's not your disposition, it's not like a morality thing, but when's the last time you were brokenhearted over the needs and the concerns of other people? Over the mission? That it, maybe it even moved you to tears. Because if we're not having that sense of brokenness and investment, maybe just maybe we've lived with such a distance from other people that the reason you don't feel any weight and burden is because you're not close enough to anybody's hurts and their lives and their discipleship and their sanctification to feel anything. And I'm asking God to say, "What if we would model Paul and say we're going to live together in such a way and live on mission in such a way that God would break us for what breaks His heart?" But He says, "With trials." That at every turn, people were trying to to stop this advancement of the gospel. That this man knew what it was to suffer. And if we're going to step out in obedience to Jesus to try to be faithful to what he's called us to do, we will suffer. Jesus said, don't be surprised by this. It will happen. You will experience persecution. In big ways and even in small just trials of just living life in a broken, fallen world. That God will permit and maybe even cause trials to come into our life. Listen, to get us pruned off to where we can produce more fruit and pursue greater faithfulness. That the trials of this life serve as a refiner's fire. To rid us from ourselves and to get us focused on God and what really matters in life. Paul knew what that was. These trials did not impede the gospel advancing, but the endurance through them actually put the gospel on display. So all of this is what the call to faithfulness looks like. This is the context. This is what we ought to be aiming at. And I think these sufferings, these hardships, this perspective that he had had humbled him to the point where he had a grip. His grip was um, freed from the things of this world. That he saw that this is what matters. I'm going to live for something greater. Verse 33 says, I didn't covet anybody's silver or gold or apparel. I wasn't concerned with the things and the provision of this life. I was content who God had made me to be. I was set free from entitlement and self-preservation. Verse 34, he says, you know that my hands, I worked hard to provide for myself, but I also provided for other people. I didn't have a sense of entitlement that you had to take care of me. This mission was advancing. I just wanted to be faithful, to do whatever it took to advance this gospel, to do what Jesus has told me to do. Verse 35, he says, I've shown you that in all things by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. The word "working hard" literally has the idea of, in the, in the language, it has a verb tense of "I'm working to the point of utter exhaustion." He says, "I was spent for this purpose in this pursuit of faithfulness." And many of us, I think, feel uncomfortable almost by this. Like Paul is almost looking back at his life and as an example and say, "Are you bragging?" about yourself like who among us would say hey look at me look at my life i'm an example i'm the epitome of faithfulness but i don't think this is arrogance at all and i think we would all do well to say this is what discipleship and mission looks like is to be known so deeply where you could say people look at your life look at my life And this is what it looks like to follow imperfectly and in the middle of weakness but look at me you will see what it means to pursue jesus Paul didn't see this as arrogance. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Something had happened in Paul, that these things, he didn't have to manufacture the tears and the brokenness and the faithfulness and the obedience. Something had changed in him that was fueling this kind of lifestyle. I think we get a 1 Corinthians 15 says it was the grace of God that he was doing this work in me. And I think we see a clue here in verse 35 back in Acts 20. He says, and remember the words of Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That Paul said, I, faithfulness looks like I'm going to give more than I take. And he didn't just come up with that randomly. It was modeled by Jesus. That Jesus was the one who became a servant and served us that we might have life in him and be freed in him. And Paul said, this is what Jesus is like. This is what life in the kingdom is like. It's to give away. He'd been so motivated by this message of the gospel, by this person of Jesus Christ. And this is what happens when we get the gospel. When we get the gospel really down deep in our souls, our strengths don't go to our heads. When Paul can look and say, this is what it looks like to pursue faithfulness, he's not arrogant in that. He knows that it's all a fruit of what the work of God in him. He's not arrogant. He's not full of himself in that. But then when he comes face to face with his weaknesses and his suffering and his humility, that doesn't go down to his heart. And he's not paralyzed with a feeling of inferiority and insecurity. It doesn't keep him from keep moving on and getting up and continue to pursue faithfulness, even if he doesn't feel it. Because the gospel says that's your identity. It doesn't go to your heart. You're not a failure. This is not who you are because you're defined by who Jesus says that you are. So do you give more than you take? Do you have this posture of openness to the people of God and the people in your life? Because he had been so transformed to not take himself seriously. It wasn't about him at all. He was also transformed, listen, to keep ultimate things ultimate that this, something had welled up in Paul that he says, it's not just about my life that I'm living in front of you and the example. It's the fruit of something more and it's the truth of the word of God. So he goes on in verses 20 and 21. He says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house and testifying of repentance and faith in God. Because faithfulness, here's what faithfulness says. I think Paul would agree with these statements, because it's coming right out of the text. Faithfulness says, if it is profitable, I will speak it no matter what it costs me. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm not just going to model a life, and the context is love and relationship, but there's time, if I really love you, I'm going to speak what is profitable. It's going to build you up. Paul said, I did that. That's what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness says, I will teach the truth without shame or fear. He said, I did this house to house and in public. I wasn't trying to hold back. I wasn't I was not ashamed of the gospel. I was publicly, boldly declaring this in front of everybody. Faithfulness says, I will invite people to look at Jesus even when it means calling them to look away from themselves. He said, I want you to have repentance toward God and faith in Jesus. I was constantly calling you to that, calling the city to that, to look away from yourself and your sin and to put your hope in Jesus. That's pretty controversial in our day. he's like, I was going to boldly proclaim to you. So share 1515. Guys, listen, this is not just something that's a random program. This is faithfulness that friends really do make known the love of God. He goes on in verse 26 and verse 27. He says, I testify you to this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This harkens back to language used in like places like Ezekiel 33 where God's telling the prophets that, to warn of the coming destruction. And if they don't warn of the coming destruction, when the wicked die in their sin, that the blood of those people are on the hands of the prophets who did not tell. And I think he's using that language. It's like the blood, your blood is not on my hands because I was faithful to tell you. So brothers and sisters, listen. We are not responsible for the results of what people do with the truth, but we are responsible to tell it. To the community of faith and discipleship, are you speaking the word to the people that are in your life? Are you faithful to speak the word to the people in this city that do not know Jesus? Can anybody look at you at the end of their life and say, we were so close to one another. We were friends. We lived next door to one another. You were in my family, and you never told me the truth. Paul said I was faithful, so I told. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to read it anyway, because what are we going to do, right? Spurgeon says it like this. He says it a lot better than me. I wish I was the one that said it, but I'll let Spurgeon have his cred. Um, this is a heavy quote, just to warn you. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility of faithfulness. He was so gripped, Paul was, by the radical, eternal perspective that it changed the way he lived. So we see his commitment to faithfulness in verse 22. He says, Now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. There's a lot we could say about this, but how did the Spirit constrain Paul? How did he speak? It's a mystery to us, but he does speak. He will direct if you only have ears to hear, to listen to what he's saying. But here's the point. Paul says you're going there to Jerusalem and there's an unknown about this. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the results. You don't know what's going what to become of your time there except for this one thing. You're going to suffer. The Spirit did let him know that this is going to cost you everything. You're going to get thrown into prison. And let's be honest about this. Most of our paradigm of what the will of God is for our life does not have any category for this. That there's no way that if God were to call us to suffer, that has to be His will. Not that we go looking for it, but when it comes, that we will be faithful in it. And that it's not just about what is safe and secure or convenient, it's about what He's called me to do. So, the question for all of us this morning is how valuable is Jesus to you? Is He worth everything? That if he were to call you to do something that would be like Paul here, knowing that it might cost me everything, or it might not go the way it is, and it's going to be really, really difficult, do you still step out in obedience and say, if I have Jesus, I have everything. He's what I need. It's not motivated. So our relationship with Jesus is not Jesus and my comfort, or Jesus and closeness to my family, or Jesus and enough money in the bank. It's G, if it comes to the point where it's Jesus or those things, I will gladly choose Jesus. That's what faithfulness demands of us and what he's inviting us into. And he goes on with verse 24, and we'll close with this. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know what he says here? He says, my life is of no value at all. And that's not self-hatred coming from Paul. He's like, I don't matter. No, he has great value. He is loved in the sight of the Father. But here's what that word value means. It's the idea of the word, uh, it's the same word we get, logos or word. It's this idea of my life was nothing to be thought of. When I'm making decisions and I'm moving ahead, I'm not thinking about me and my comfort and what makes sense in me. I'm forgetting myself. And my life is no longer something precious, because if something's precious to you, you're going to hold on. You're going to hoard it. You're going to protect it. He said, but no, I've forgotten about myself, and I've come greaterly stirred up to the beauty and the glory of Jesus, and my life is not precious. I'm not going to hold on to it. But listen, he's given me a job to do, a ministry, my ministry. So our ministry is not Paul's, but you have a ministry. The Spirit has called you to do something. He's put you on this earth for a purpose that's so much bigger than you. Are you being faithful? You say, My life is of nothing. God, do with me whatever I will. And for those, my brothers and sisters in the room, that you may consider yourself to be older, I'll let you determine what that means, okay? But for those of you that are a little further along in life, are you finishing well? Because that's what Paul says, I want to finish my course. He had the course he knew. He was faithful in it, but he saw He's like, I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to finish my course. I'm praying that God would stir that up in us. We don't have time to look at his admonition for faithfulness to that church, but he looks at them and says, you're not going to see me again. I'm leaving. So you need to care for your own soul and the calling that God's put on your life, elders, brothers and sisters, and you need to care for the church of God whom he's purchased with his own blood. You need to protect the false prophets that are going to come in and try to steer you away in disbelief of the gospel. You need to guard yourself from false teachers rising up from inside that's going to keep you away from this mission and the glory of God and the face of Jesus. That Paul was not concerned with danger externally. What he was concerned with, the most dangerous thing, was to disbelieve the gospel and lose our souls. He said, I can lose my life. I'm not worried about that. But I do not want to lose my soul. And I want to guard the belief of this local church. So care for your own heart. Care for your own self. Make sure you're doing what God's called you to do, brothers, elders. But all of us today, are you living out your calling? And do you care for the church of God? Listen, the church is precious. You are precious. Jesus purchased you with his blood. This is worth everything. This is blood bought. This is not something we manufacture. Jesus has purchased a people for himself. From every people of this world, he's already bled and died and rose again and accomplished the work. But he says, I'm sending you out. I'm inviting you in to join in this grand, glorious thing. I, I'm, you're precious in my sight, but go get the kids that are adopted but not yet into the spiritual family. Go grab them. I'm going to do the work, but you are just got to be faithful to do it. Brothers and sisters, that's something to live for. And I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for me. He goes on and says, basically, I know this is all going to happen because of God. I'm going to give you to his hands. And As the team's coming up to prepare to lead us and close here in just a minute, I want us to read verse 32. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's what he says. I'm commending you to God. I'm putting you in his hands. I've shown you my example. I've charged you from the word. But ultimately, you are in the hands of a sovereign God. And there's two beautiful promises here I want to leave you with. I know this is heavy, but hear this, church. You and I can remain faithful. He says, this word is able to build you up. He's doing this work in you. He's equipped you for this task. You can remain faithful. And listen, God will finish what he started in you. He said, this word is able to give you the inheritance. We've already won, church. He's going to keep you to the end. And I'll leave you this Packer quote. He says, your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. He's got you. Will you trust him with your life to be faithful no matter what it costs? So if you'll bow with me, we're going to enter into a time of response. And I want to point us to Jesus again. We've seen Paul's example, but everything that we've seen in his life ultimately is just an echo, a faint picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So listen to these parallels of what we've seen from Paul about Jesus as we get ready to sing this song. Look to him. Don't be overwhelmed by shame or guilt or fear. Don't let any distractions happen. Listen about your Savior. Jesus identifies with his people by becoming fully human to walk with us in nearness and to weep with us. Jesus lived a life wholly in sync with the Father in front of us, showing us what life in the kingdom is like. Jesus gave up his rights, and he humbled himself, became a servant. He endured trials, even death on a cross. Jesus was the one who lived freed from the things of this world and the flesh and the devil, and he conquered all of the temptations that was thrown his way for us. Jesus is the way, and he's the truth, and he's the life. He's the truth about God. He spoke and embodied who God is, and he made a way for us to know him and to walk in the truth of the word of God. Jesus was the one who knew everything that would befall him. He knew what it would mean for him to take your place on the cross. And he went anyway, joyfully, to his suffering. Jesus has won the victory in his resurrection and we are guaranteed success because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus has given us his spirit and he's placed us in the family of faith. And he's given you leaders and pastors to care for you and to love you and brothers and sisters to admonish you and to stir you up to enjoy him more. You love the church. Jesus loves you because he loves his church and he will keep us until the end. Jesus has defeated our greatest enemy of Satan, sin, and death. And he gives you and he gives me the power to overcome any threat to our unbelief. And he invites us to himself to receive his word and he's gonna keep our souls. And just as Paul, when he left, he had his friends pray over him and weep over with him. Jesus, at the end of his life, when he was saying farewell, did not have that. His friends fell asleep and refused to pray for him and with him. But Jesus prayed for you. he endured his suffering and he cried some great drops of blood. And he cried, my God, my God, Lord God, here's this cup. And I don't want to do this, but I will. If it's your will, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to be faithful to purchase these people because I love them. And there's a mission to do. He's accomplished that for you. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're not yet Christian, I pray that you've seen a glimpse of him. If you have any questions about what that means to return from your sin, and put faith in Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that in the prayer room after the service. Talk to the person that came, you came with. We would love for you to see you put repentance and faith in Jesus today for the rest of us. Are you faithful? Will you trust Jesus' faithfulness to you even in spite of your faithlessness? And we will gladly commit all to the cause of Christ. And so let's stand and sing this short A song is a prayer of obedience.